I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Well, thank you, Tony, and uh, what a dreadful week to be talking. Well, I'm looking at... The front page of the Herald Sun newspaper, the Saturday edition, there's a photograph there of Shane Warne. Who would have thought when we started this podcast uh, oh, about 18 months ago, now maybe even longer, that we would be talking about the death of 52-year-old Shane Warne? What a shock. Yeah, well, I, I sent a tweet on um, Saturday night and I said, I'm sure this is a national feeling because I'm feeling this. I've watched TV news all day, you know, all the Shane Warne tributes, all the Shane Warne stories, and I still couldn't believe that Shane Warne was dead. It's like, it's just so hard to, to conceive. I mean, he was the same age uh, as my stepson, Dylan, 52. And, and I'll con- I will now concede, uh, having watched it and thought about it over, over the recent days, you often hear people say, oh, he's the best so-and-so since Bradman. He's the best this since Donald Bradman. I hear people say now that Shane Warne was on the same level as Don Bradman, and I don't find that an exaggeration at all. I think he probably was our greatest cricketer uh, since, since Bradman. I followed cricket since 1970, so that's 52 right. years. That's a long, long time. So You're better than me, okay. And I've, I've read a lot of books the year before that, so I always thought he was a magnificent spin bowler, the best spin bowler there ever has been in Australia or anywhere in the world. So as far as spin bowler, and uh, that sort of thing. He was the best. So uh, Bradman's talent was in batting. Warren's talent was in bowling. And the thing that you, 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 we allude, you're alluding to is that he brought back the passion for spin bowling. In the last few days, we've seen the Australian women's team in New Zealand um, with a spin bowler putting a beautiful ball down. And after she bowled, took the wicket, she tapped the black armband on her arm as a tribute to Shane Warne. I mean, he brought back spin. I mean, spin was sort of was was on a um a bit of a downer, you know. It wasn't quite the because the fast bowlers were the heroes, the Lilies and the Thompsons, the fast bowling thing, and the West Indians that was getting all the attention. But spin bowling was taking the bloody wickets. Yeah, well, uh, look, I, I remember the spin bowlers that they tried before they got to Warn, you know, starting from people like Kerry O'Keefe. And I used to watch Kerry O'Keefe, and I used, I used to watch the ball, and I, that didn't spin at all. Ashley Mallet spun one inch. You know, he was an off-spinner. Because off-spinning and leg-spinning, totally different arts. Leg-spinning is the, the hardest thing, because you're bowling it with your wrist out of the back of your head. And then he had all of these different deliveries, the good the flipper, the this, the that. And I think that captured the and, – and you could see the ball move. I mean, that yeah. ball of the century that they talk about all the time. I remember watching that and, and, actually and, and happening aptly live. Named, aptly, aptly named, wasn't it? I mean, it was amazing. You saw the British cap walking away like – Like Gatting, yeah. How the hell did that happen? Yes. <laughs> well, the whole thing, the way it developed, you know, it's his first ball in a test match, an Ashes test match in on English soil. There's this young 23-year-old guy from Sandringham or, or, or wherever – 
and he bowls this ball, and you can watch it dip to the to, to the leg, to the right-hand side as you watch it, land, and then, like a snake, come off the pitch, past the bat, onto the off stump, bang, he's out. And, and Gadding, <laughs> he didn't know what happened to him. The commentary of it. I've a thousand times in recent days. As, as, he, as he's walking away, he's shaking his head like, where the f did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right, and and that captured the imagination of uh, it did. It did. of everybody. The thing about Shane Warne that people don't know is his mum used to clean Bob Hawke's house when Hawke lived at Twenty Five Royal Avenue in Sandringham. Did you know that? No, that's a bit of trivia that I was that escaped me. There you go. Yeah. The thing about Shane Warne was he was Shane Warne. He was always Shane Warne. On field, off field, you know, the, the, the guy with the dyed hair, and he didn't care in a way what people thought. He was he was always himself, and uh, that was one of his strengths. I mean, I mean, he was a larrikin, but then that's what probably cost him his um, ever being captain of Australia. And he had some blemishes, professional blemishes, which I haven't forgotten. One was his his mum's diuretic tablet right, when he was sent home for drug charge on drug issues. Number two, which is even more serious, was when he got involved with bloody illegal bookmakers in India. I watched the documentary that they put out on uh, Amazon Prime where, where he talks about all, all that sort of stuff. And uh, he, he says that um, he was approached by Salim Malik, the Pakistani captain at the time, to, to uh, fix a game. Well, well to, to make sure that the Aussies didn't win and that Pakistan did win. Because according to Warren Malik had said to him, they, they'll burn down our houses if we lose. That's how passionate they are about cricket in Pakistan. And he reported that to his captain, Mark Taylor, and they reported that to the team captain, to the team manager and whatever at the time. Uh, that was separate to when he and Mark War were accused of just giving information to these bookies in in the Middle East, you know. In, uh... I'll tell you what, and they're giving information to bookies about the health and style and welfare of your team. Now, if that was in America, you would go to jail. And a, um, um, one American, famous American person, did sportsman did go to jail just for, for betting on his own team. But it, I mean, in, in America, in, I remember when um, Joe Namath, the famous New York Jets quarterback, he uh, owned a bar and he was forced by the football gods to sell the bar because mafia people were drinking in the bar to try and pick up information about the condition of the Jets team. And so that's how seriously they take that sort of info. And I thought, I thought Sean, sorry, sorry, I thought that, that Shane Warne was very, um, was naive getting involved in that. Um, you've been to that area, Koh Samui in Thailand? I've never no, been no, to Thailand I have, myself. I have not, I have not. Friends of mine have gone there a lot and have partied there a lot and uh, have said it's, it's a pretty wild sort of place to be. But where he was, it was very expensive. And it, just before he died, he he went on Instagram with a picture of a be how beautiful it is and a beautiful pool, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, and and he and it does have, as I mentioned, it does have a um, a health factor there. And he was he had announced he was going to lose a lot of weight and get back to his form. And give him credit, uh, I know he, he said in interviews which I've now seen in the last few days again that cricket was his life, but he also and he, and he apologised for when he wasn't with his family, but. He loved his kids desperately, and uh, and, that, and and so the family side came through. And fame—I mean, he loved the fame, but 
it didn't really, it was still the same warning. Oh, which reminds me, uh, the state government, Victorian government has, has announced they're going to change the name of the, the Great Southern Stand, is it, to the, to the, um, to the SK Warn Stand. And I've said on Twitter, bullshit. I know that's been with the cricket term, you know, like the something, something stand. Yeah, the DG Bradman stand is what Yeah, yeah. Or, or, but, but I mean, come on. It's, it's, it's a Shane Warne stand. I would even accept them if, if Andrews wanted to be very clever, in my mind, call it the bloody Warney stand. Because that's what people will call it. The same way the exhibition centre is now Jeff's shed. Nobody calls it the exhibition centre. But I mean, everybody will call it Warney Stand. But 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 call it the Shane Warne Stand at least. I know the argument is that on 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 the scoreboard it always says SK Warne sort of thing. We'll change it. Just say it's the Shane Warne Stand, and I think it's a wonderful idea. And I think it's great. He's getting a federal and state a federal and state state funeral. Uh, as magnet, but but think this through. I mean, nobody's going to look at it and say the SK Warn stand. It's very formal, isn't it? Uh, and I agree with you. I, I don't think the Warney stand. I, I just think the Shane Warn stand. Shane Warn stand. That, that, Shane that'll, Warne that'll do the job. Now we should also mention because we started with it about Rodney Marsh, one of the greatest wicket keepers we have seen. And keep this in mind: he was wearing the gloves and keeping the wicket when he was facing thunderers like Dennis Lilly and Jeff Thompson, they're bowling down thunderbolts. And you saw the poor bugger's hands at times, fingers after finger wrapped in sticking plaster because he was taking such a pounding. Yeah, well, that's um, that was a wonderful era of Australian cricket. Rod Marsh tells the story that at the Wacker ground in Perth, because the Perth wicket has always been the fastest, lightning fast. Uh, Jeff Thompson once bowled a bouncer at the Wacker and the ball went above Marsh's head and Marsh would stand probably about 25, 30 <laughs> metres back from the wicket and it didn't land till it hit, it hit the sideboard on the full. <laughs> that's a long way. That's, yeah. that's, that's a lot of power and a lot of speed in, in those deliveries. Now, Marsh had gloves. Imagine, Darren, if you're the batsman and in those days... You didn't have a helmet. That's a scary experience. Yeah, yeah, did did yeah, you yeah. ever meet um, uh, uh, Warren or Marsh? Uh, oh, yeah, I met Marsh well, years ago, and I, I, I'd meet Shane, bump into Shane Warren at, at functions a few times. Um, I, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. We were not, we're not, not friends or acquaintances even, you know, but I... I know, well, had you, we, had you had a conversation at all together? Oh, briefly, brief, yeah. We, we, we sort of... We were, that... that, that that's what he called that uh, cocktail party nodding thing. You know he, who each other are and you respect it. <laughs> sort of thing. You know. Look, hello, hello, hi, Shane. Hi, Darren. You know, and that, that was about it. Yeah, because he would have known you. You knew him. The thing is, fame, you, you touched on it before. Now, you've been famous. You, you still are famous. How do you handle it? What's that like when you walk down the street or, you know, you, you, you're at a restaurant in Turak and someone comes up to you. I, I, I always said to, to Jackie Weaver that it's, it's a tax you pay. I mean, you can stop it by stopping what you're doing. You know? And I think it's a tax you pay. I'd probably, to be honest, be, feel more insulted if somebody said, what do you do for a living? <laughs> <laughs> you, know? uh, you mentioned a restaurant in Turak. Now, um, recent, the other Saturday I was there uh, having having a quiet, what I call tranquil lunch with my ex radio and TV, TV producer, Dermot O'Brien. And I got ambushed by a team of uh, 
Palmer Party people in their in their t-shirts and the yellow t-shirts and freedom and all this stuff and they ambushed me in the restaurant and in the end uh, my first words to the, the first guy was I loathe your party and he thought that would end it but he didn't he wanted to argue about this and he wanted to argue that journalists didn't believe in freedom of speech which I I thought it was a bit weird. Uh, anyway, in the end, Dermot stood up and, and, and demanded the guy just leave the restaurant. I mean, we were, we, but he did. And then another one came in, and then they all went away. And Dermot left me there alone while I waited for an Uber. And I thought I was pretty clean and pretty safe. And the guy at the next table, I should have guessed because he's reading Anne Rand, he looked up and he turned to me and he said, You know, Putin is right. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to be, this has been a great lunch. <laughs> Putin is right. So I said, excuse me, I've got an Uber to catch and walked out of the restaurant minutes before I needed to. I thought, all I needed on a Saturday afternoon is some guy telling me that Putin is right to invade uh, the Ukraine. There's, there's some crazy, crazy crazies out there, really. You know, I, I suggested on Twitter that uh, we should have a day where, you know, during the Boxing Day test where. You know, we call it Warnydale or something. It was just an idea. I thought, oh, I'll tweet it, see see how it gets reacted to. And people being nasty, people being rude, people then suggesting, you know, what we should do is uh, tell people the truth that he died because he had the vaccine and that's what's caused his death. Um, it's going to get I've been getting threads like that uh, for, for some days. And the other one is that people saying, uh, why am I making such a big deal about Shane Warne? I mean, other, other people have died, you know. One woman, sadly, and I, I, I grant this, her, her husband got cancer and had a few months of absolute agony, and then he died. And he's about the same age as Shane Warne. And that's awful. But when, when somebody famous, somebody's been part of everybody's life, whether it be Shane Warne or Marilyn Monroe, um, we are entitled to grieve to, to, to think it through, to, to think, my God, you know, um, he's gone. And it doesn't mean to say you, on sa that Saturday that we got the news that Shane Warne was dead, doesn't mean we didn't still feel bad for the people of Lismore who've lost everything. I mean, you can multitask and you can multi-grieve. It's only going to get worse, I, I think, Darren. You know, pe people, it comes down to a fundamental distrust of the mainstream media people have this sense that they're not being told the truth that things get hidden that uh there's some big conspiracy and everybody who's in the media are all part of this big conspiracy it's only going to get worse yeah well since since trump invented the word fake news which has been picked up by uh by clive palmer as well um, it is going to get worse, and people do distrust media. They t sadly they say it must be true because it was on Facebook or it was on Twitter, uh, which I find uh, very strange. Because at least by the time stuff gets into mainstream media, it's been cleared by lawyers and, ed and editors who have, have some responsibility and, and, and some feeling of what's right and what's wrong. You know? Now, I mean, here's a good example. Quote, Clive Palmer bought Hitler's Mercedes. Right? That was a story we ran for days. And then the, the follow-up, it had legs for days. Then the follow-up that he can't bring it into Australia because we don't allow that sort of Nazi glorification. Then I saw a story saying the car had arrived and was being held in customs in Australia. 
And the next story is from Clive Palmer in his hospital bed saying, I did not buy Hitler's car. <laughs> now, where the hell did this come from? It, it drew such links. I mean, I'm reading about this about five. Somebody put some ads up saying, would you vote for a man who bought Hitler's car? <laughs> It was madness. <laughs> it's just, it's just, uh, just, just crazy. Back to uh, Warren and uh, and Marsh. Uh, it's amazing what being a cricketer, uh, the doors it opens. You know, you look at the friends that uh, Warney in particular uh, had, uh, and the people that, that have paid tribute. Mick Jagger. Yeah. Uh, all of these. Uh, he, apparently, he was good friends with Tiger Woods as well. Well, Mick Jagger supposedly told Warren once. If I wasn't Mick Jagger, I'd, I'd love to be Shane Warne. <laughs> and that's possible, you know, yeah. And, and, and other, some other famous people, you know. And he, I mean, the Liz Hurley-Shane Warne love affair uh, made international headlines for ages and ages. I mean, even the fact that the day that Liz arrived in Australia and went to stay with Warne at his house and being staked out by all the media, it made the papers that Warne had bought, him, bought a new mattress. And that, that made news. And and also with, with his children, I mean, I, I saw Ian Botham say that to be a an international athlete and to perform at your best, there's no alternative. You have to be selfish because if you're not, uh, you won't get there. You won't get there. And 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 if you do, you won't stay there. Well, Warren, Warren did say quite openly in one of the interviews I, I watched the other day. He said, "Cricket was my life." And sadly, my family took second place because that's the way it had to be, and that's the way it is with with some people. I I I, I tell you, I did a um, I was in Sydney recently did a, a show, the Insight Show on SBS, uh, about why young men are having vasectomies and why I didn't ever want children, even though my professional life has been full of trying to covering child protection cases and uh, and been to jail over it um but i never wanted children and i made the point in that series and i'm getting back to what both of them were saying is that my profession was my life and my family newspapers were my children and 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 my first wife was a foreign correspondent too so the two of us living in new york both passionate about news and newspapers and we didn't didn't consider the idea of having children and because your job you felt or your profession your where you wanted to go was your life the same way both of them is saying cricket or any international sport is what you have to do and 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 other relationships sometimes um are hurt by that you, you have to admire the 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 partners the wives of the, the, the men, male cricketers anyway, because um, I mean, female cricketers as well. But I'm, I'm we're specifically talking about a particular era here because I think partners now go on tours with their uh, their, their cricket playing spouses. In the seventies, which is the era that I remember clearly, I remember Greg Chappell went to, on a tour of England. His wife gave birth to one of his children. I think it was his daughter. And she was like four or five months old when he came back and saw her for the first time. Uh, I've heard an interview that he said that uh, he, his daughter uh, in particular felt it strongly when he used to go away because she would be in her room and she wouldn't come out to say goodbye to him because that was her way of dealing with the, 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 
the trauma or the loss that she felt when whenever he uh, he went away. And then the wives are at home having to deal with family issues all on their own. For months, and that's true. And also, back then, and even probably still now, there was that media rule, um, what goes on tour stays on tour. And uh, there were certain things happened on tour um, that was never reported. Um, and affairs went on and stuff went on that was ignored completely by the media because that line, what goes on tour stays on tour. There's a famous book written by a guy called Roland Fishman. Uh, and he went on a tour uh, of the West Indies with the Australian cricket team of 1991 or 1992. And he went into the inner sanctum of the team because he was good mates with Greg Matthews, who was a, a team member. And, and because of that, the other team members trusted him. Uh, but when he came home, he wrote this warts and all book about what was going on. He didn't name the players, but uh, on one occasion he said uh, uh, a player was on the phone uh, uh, back talking to his wife here in Australia while he was in bed with uh, some woman in the West Indies. Uh, and uh, that created an uproar when all that came out because uh, that stuff had happened since male teams have been touring all over the world. In the Keith Miller era, there's some, some stories about Keith Miller and Princess Margaret, uh, all this sort of stuff. Well, I, okay, during the America's Cup, um, and I covered them, several of them, but in the America's Cup, um, the wives and girlfriends were allowed to go to, uh, to Newport, Rhode Island, but they weren't allowed to stay in, in Chasterlux, the, the, the palace where all the, the, where the team stayed. And they had to stay in motels away from there. And we, all the journos, me and me especially, we used to drink with the wives all the time because you got info for your stories from indiscretions that have been told by husbands to wives about Kerry, about Packer, Kerry Packer and this and this and this. And, uh, but that was the way it was. You, People were, women were not, first of all, were not allowed to travel with husbands. Then they, when they did travel, they had to stay separately. And it's hard enough keeping a relationship together or a marriage together or a family together, let alone doing it in the pressures of a touring cricket team environment. Um, and, uh, you know, people have and, and arguments. They're, they're, they're rock stars too. So there's, they're, a group, they're sporting groupies too who are out there all the time. Well, I remember waiting outside the dressing room of the Australian cricket team at the MCG uh, one year. I was pretty young. I was just a kid waiting for an autograph. And there were all these beautiful young ladies waiting for the players to come out who used to then walk up to the old Hilton Hotel, which was up the hill there from the MCG. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the pressures, all sorts, would be enormous. And the temptations as well. Oh sure. Listen, let me tell you, my, my, my you, you've been following cricket far more than I do. I, I'm, I watch a bit of. I sometimes tune in for the last few overs of the of a twenty twenty over game because that gets exciting. I mean, to me, that's baseball. But anyway, um, I was a young journo on the Sydney Sun. Right, Richie Benno was the captain of Australia, and Richie Benno wrote a column and worked for the Sydney Sun as, as many cricketers did. And Richie Beto breaks his thumb just before some big, big game while playing some local game out in Manly. So the, the news editor says, Hinch, 
go out and talk to Richie Beno about about what's happening. Will he play next week or something? So I get, get in, the, get in the, the, the rounds car and we head out there to Manly and we wait outside the hospital for Richie Beno to walk out. And uh, after well, I'm from the I'm from the same newspaper. <laughs> he'll he'll be he'll be fine. And as he walked out with his bandaged thumb, I said, Richie, Richie, Darren Hinch from the from the Sun. Uh, and he should get fucked and walked off. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, there you go. <laughs> that's my best. That's my best cricket story. <laughs> oh, the oh, other my other cricket story is that once the um, once the uh, Variety Club, which I was head of, uh, played the Lords Taverners down at um, Red Hill in in, in Victoria. And it was a, a fundraiser, and Ray Martin and George Negus played, and I played, and we were raising money for charity. Two things I remember about that. One, I was in the field, not wearing cricket shoes, wearing just sneakers, and it was been, had been raining, and I slid on the grass by the boundary trying to stop a ball, flipped over a fence, landed on an 11-year-old kid and broke his collarbone. Oh, my God. And I thought, we're here to help. Yeah. Not, 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 not hurt them, you know. So that was number one. Number two, um, there was Typhoon Tyson was a famous English bowler, right? His name was nickname was Typhoon Tyson. Frank, Frank, Frank Tyson, great guy, Frank Wonder, Tyson, wonderful yeah. guy. And uh, I got to face him um, at the bat after he'd had lunch. So he had a few glasses of wine, and only at the bat. And here comes Typhoon Tyson. And his first ball to me was was not bad, and I hit it for four. And the second ball, he walked back probably 100 yards <laughs> and came in at full steam. I could almost see the steam coming out of his ears as he approached the, the, the pitch. And he came up and he bowled a full toss that landed on my toe and nearly broke it. <laughs> That's called a Yorker. <laughs> yeah, Yorker. And I... It was so painful because I was only wearing sneakers and I jumped and he looked at me and he waved his finger like, don't do that again. <laughs> you don't hit a four off Frank Tyson. Mind you, he would have been in his 60s back then because he was... He, he was... would have been, yeah. And the thing is, it was almost like when sparring partners land one on Muhammad Ali, he would knock them out the next punch. <laughs> Like, you don't do that to the star. And that was, that was a Frank Tyson thing to me. He, he dropped this York perfectly timed and placed right on my big toe, nearly broke it. So. Darren, how, how do you think Shane Warne will be remembered? I'm pretty sure that in 100 years' time, if we're still playing cricket, and it worries me that we may not because cricket's a particular type of game it's um you know when you when you look at a five-day test match uh, the action is happens over six hours you know i remember the u.s president uh who was the president in the 50s uh, eisenhower eisenhower yeah they took him to a test match in pakistan uh and it was the slowest day's cricket ever i think they scored about 81 runs or something in the whole day <laughs> So anyone who's not brought up with cricket from a little kid, it's, it's an acquired taste, and uh, I can imagine how people think this is boring. Uh, so, so cricket's got that hurdle that it's not an exciting game minute by minute like soccer or like uh, AFL, 
how you feel this. But Warren, how do you think he'll be remembered? He'll be remembered fantastically. Um, his foibles will be will be rubbed out or, or quietened down, but his strengths will be remembered amazingly. And he'll go down as, I mean, it's like Cher or Madonna. I mean, you say Warney, nobody has to say who Shane Warne is. It's, he's Warney. That's it, you know. And I think he'll be, he'll be remembered long after we've all gone. And I also think you're probably wrong. I think cricket will stay because now it's women's cricket is, has taken off so well. So now it's 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 it's, it's and it's generational. Um, I, I don't know about five day tests anymore because people love the instances you you were alluding to of, uh, of of nine innings baseball and 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 one day cricket and and especially the twenty twenty is um people love that because they see an instant result. And the thing about people that die young, yeah, I'm looking at Shane Warne's picture now in the Herald Sun. He will always be like that. He won't be mm -hmm. old. That's the thing. He never grow old. This, it, it, what I call the Princess Di syndrome. You know, she she is always Princess Di. He will always be Shane Warne at that age. It was James Dean way back. You know, um, I remember a line from an old move, an old book: "Live fast, die young, and have a good-looking corpse." <laughs> oh, gee. On that note, Mr. Hinch, we will talk yeah, again next week. I, I, I enjoyed that today immensely. It's uh, and it is a tribute to a, to an incredible person with all his faults and all his foibles. Uh, he, he 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 changed the game of cricket internationally, and uh, and he lived his life the way he wanted to. And you can't do more than that. And and in the end, he was just a little boy from Melbourne's Bayside, oh, yeah. Bayside suburbs. What, very good point, Shane Warne was Peter Pan. Mr. Hinch, thank you very much. Thank you, Matty.